Hi everyone, uh, Dave here. Now we're getting to the business end of the Chesterfield season, so I assume everyone's on the edge of the seat as much as I am at the moment. Uh, I'm Dave, and here we are with Legends of the Spire. Whether you're watching on YouTube or listening uh, on a podcast platform, uh, welcome. And I delve a bit more into the past of Chesterfield FC rather than the present. Fascinating having a chat with Emma last week, the physio, about all the things that are in a kit bag and how far she can launch an energy gel and stuff like that. I'm actually back with the former players this week because I had a chat with Ashley Foyle. Now, Ash was a youth player at Chesterfield at the same time as another former podcast guest, Jamie Lowry. And that was in the mid-noughties back in the Saltergate era. So I had a chat with him about that whole time at the club coming through the youth ranks uh, and then being part of the first team squad. Did make an appearance away at Swindon and also was on the bench against clubs like Forest before moving on to Accrington and then played for a lot of our local clubs uh, as well, like your Matlocks, etc. Really interesting to have a chat with him because he actually came back to Chesterfield as a coach, which is what he's doing now. It was about a decade ago uh, as part of that youth team alongside Bucky, Dave O'Hare, who's still obviously there now as our goalkeeping coach. And it was interesting because he's gone on to clubs like Sheffield United since and is now at Lincoln. So he's really experienced in that area. We had a chat about coaching in general, which I always find really fascinating. And then obviously also Saltergate era and what he got from Linda's sandwich shop. As always, I am at Spy Legends on uh, Twitter and Instagram and Legends of the Spire on Facebook. Uh, so please do keep in touch. And here we are with the latest episode. Back to the former player interviews this week with Ash Foyle. Here we go. I've listened to a couple, I've watched a couple, I watched, I watched Lowry's on my way to work the other week, so. I was going to uh, say, you were there at the same time, weren't you, you two? Yeah, 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 centre-half's partners in the end, <laughs> uh, even though that weren't necessarily as his spot that he were going to go and break through in. Um, but it was the best fit for us as a youth team, I think, at that stage. Mm. So, And he, he's obviously gone into a, a bit of a similar path to you, hasn't he? It's so strange, you know, because uh, our age group in particular, whether that was members of the youth team or at least the extended sort of squad with with the lads that, that did the college programme as well, there's mm. so many. So, like, obviously, I, I've been around a, a number of different clubs coaching Jamie's been at been at a few and is at Plymouth at the minute. Josh Law, we played against Josh Law last weekend. He's at Harrogate coaching <laughs> coaching their 18s at Harrogate. Matt Thorpe's at Sheffield United and been at Liverpool and Derby, who was in the, the college programme, played for the youth team. And then Jamie Smith, who also played for the youth team for, for a spell while being at the college mm-hmm. as well. He's head of recruitment at Derby. So there's like right. a little cluster of, of lads that were all sort of come through the, the academy at Chesterfield that have gone on to to either coach or be involved in football in, in some capacity like that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, what, it's a bit odd to have so many in such a small cluster. But, yeah, what do you put that down to? Do you think that was it's just luck or um, was it was it just a good programme that they good ground in? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think we just had good people. You know what I mean? Mm. Like everybody everybody that's gone back into football were, were all good lads and um obviously wanted to forge our own careers, but not quite panned out however we might have liked. Like, there's not many of those. Probably Josh had the best career out of all of us, or, or Jamie, um, before it got ended. Um, mm. I just think it's probably a, the next best thing, isn't it, to, yeah. to go back into it. Um, some of it might be a little bit of luck, so obviously you need to find your way in. I, I was quite quite fortunate with how I found, found my way into coaching with 
with Dave and Jules in, in Chesterfield and Thorpe is probably the same because while I was doing the under 11s, I think he came to just help me out as he as he was starting his sort of coaching journey and that's how he got into it as as well. So yeah, there's a, there's a bit of that. Jamie Jamie Smith at Derby, he just he, he just wanted to watch football matches and his lad was playing and he wanted to do just do a bit of scouting really. So yeah. that's how he sort of started with with um his role at Derby and that's obviously just evolved to the point where he actually runs the whole department now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's uh, it is strange just to have so many of them from from a similar age um, that have all gone into it. But it's helpful because like there's plenty of people that you can pick your phone up to that have, have got the same so, thing yeah, going yeah. on and um, probably travelling in at the same time and getting back at late late at night. So there's always somebody that you can go and give a give a quick call to to pass the time on your journey home and, mm-hmm. and talk about football. I was having a look at the uh, obviously we have the Chesterfield FC history website which is really good because it has line lineups and youth team all squads right. and all that stuff for years yeah. gone by and um the first time i saw your name i think was 2003 4 in which you appeared in a few kind of youth team games throughout that season i don't know if yeah. that had been about you would you've been about 16 17 then something like that yeah I think, but but I when think were you at the club from yeah I, I actually joined when i was about 13 hmm. um Having having worked now in academy football and, and delving into recruitment a little bit, I've come to realise that I was probably a scout's worst nightmare because I was I was third I was an under thirteen, but I was no I was an under twelve, but I was playing in the under thirteen league, um, and I was playing in like the C division because that was just where all my mates were playing. So I was wasn't playing in the top league. I was playing a year above myself, um, so I was probably hard for anybody to spot. Um, so I never really got an opportunity until my under 13 season because at that point I'd, I'd sort of decided that that's what I wanted to to do and I wanted to pursue it. So the advice we got was like playing your own age group and, and find one of the better teams. So that's when I joined Young Gals um, at under 13 and, and that season we had a really good year and I did really well. And then things started to start to pop up and, and opportunities sort of came my way. So um, there was a scout um that had watched a few of my games that, that rang rang the old house phone and my dad answered doesn't really know much about football so he just listened to what he said and, and, and sort of took his word for it so he was a Leeds scout so I went up to Leeds first um, up at Thorpe Arch for a trial up there um, I only lasted about three weeks because I was nowhere near good enough for them at that point they had like I just remember being in a session with Aaron Lennon and we were doing the little fast footwork thing through the ladders and and I just started and he looked over and he'd finished. I'm like, well, maybe this is uh maybe this is a level above me. I think James Milner was around that team as well at the at the same time. So yeah, that lasted about three weeks and 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 they just turned around and said that it it, it wasn't gonna happen for me. So like I said, we as a family didn't really know that much about football or how it operated. So we just went back to the scout and and he sort of came up with a with a few clubs that I could go into. Um, suggested sort of Barnsley, Sheffield United and Chesterfield and like I said because we didn't know any different we just asked him what he thought and uh, I just remember my dad telling me that his words were that Chesterfield looked like they were going to invest in their youth set up um, so they're probably the best ones to go to <laughs> after that Sheffield United built their facility at Shirecliffe and Barnsley built their facility next to the stadium at Oakwell so I don't think he was quite in the know with that one because I, I went up and 
went to Hasland School on my trial and, and then many, many years when I went back to coach, the, the academy was still training there. So you got that one wrong. Yeah, um, yeah I was under 13 at that point and, and Neil Cluxton was the manager who's, who's academy manager now. So again, probably makes him feel old. Um, and I just remember having a, a couple of games on trial and, and, and then signing pretty quickly and um, was there from sort of that under 13 season and we had quite a good year group and, and a lot of us played up in age groups, so probably played a few games for the youth team before we actually sort of got offered scholarships and, and started our scholarships while we were still at school. So, um, yeah, it was a it was a fast-paced time. And are you from kind of Sheffield area? Yeah, Sheffield. Yeah, yeah I've always lived in Sheffield. Um, so it was not a bad journey to get there. It used to take us sort of 45 minutes or so, depending on, on traffic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've we've probably managed about five thousand different routes to get into into Chesterfield over the years with all the different ways and different means of of missing bits of traffic to get there for certain times. So always sort of my dad always brought me over while I was younger, and then when I started my scholarship, it was sort of up to me. Then I had to mm. jump on a bus, then a train, then then have a walk up from the train station. So. Um, I would have liked to have gone in digs. Um, I, I did hope that that would be the case, but I think I was deemed one of the local lads because because I wasn't that too far away by miles. But it didn't necessarily mean that I could get there easily because it was a it was a good journey to get in every morning. And and a shout out to the parents and everyone else that had that spend all those years ferrying back and forth to try and help. Absolutely, you. absolutely. You, you see it even more so now, but my dad took me absolutely everywhere, wherever I needed to be. And, and I always wanted to be there early or be the first there, which put even more pressure on him to, to rush back from work and get me there. And often sat 20 minutes before the coaches had even turned up just because I was sort of that way inclined, but never made a fuss and will have spent hours and hours stood at the side of training pitches or match pitches or getting cheap coffees from wherever just to, to try and pass the time. So yeah, incredible support from your parents and you just realise that that is a barrier for a lot of lads like as I've found through through my time working in academies like everybody's got that kind of support I think clubs are, are better set up now to to try and help with that and, and try and um, still find ways to, to bring lads in that maybe haven't got that sort of network of support with them Yeah, but I'm really fortunate that I, that I did have it Um some of the lads in my group didn't, so we, we often help them. So Jamie Jackson, not, not far away from me, he often struggled to get into training and stuff like that. So sometimes he'd come with us um, in the car and stuff. So, yeah, it's, it helps. It helps to have somebody that, that is able to do that. Um, but lads always find find a way, if not as well. So Yeah, totally. And 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 like you mentioned, like Julesy and, and that lot around the time were kind of looking after a lot of things weren't they and and yeah. there was kind of a lot of like from that era there's a lot of very memorable names from the youth setup around then which you don't necessarily get as much nowadays i suppose that's part of how the structures kind of changed yeah. a bit but it was a it was a, a a good little setup wasn't it back in the day yeah it was really good it was really good and, and like we've alluded to already i think that's that's certainly rubbed off on a lot of people that have been through that so the sort of environment that, that Dave and Jules had created for the amount of time that they were there um, certainly stuck with me in terms of 
how to treat young people and, and young players and, and, and try and get the best out of them. And I'm sure it will have rubbed off on everybody else as well because um, it was a tough gig. Everywhere's a tough gig when you when you try and try and afford your career in a youth team and some long, long dark days doing all sorts of all sorts of bits and bobs. But um, the environment that, that Dave and Jules has sort of created amongst the group was really good. Um, everybody was sort of in it for each other and um, always wanted to do their best and wanted to play well and wanted to, to to move to the next stage. And it's only now when you're in it yourself that you appreciate that like they would be taking training in the morning with us, but like they're still there in the evening taking the training for the under 12s and under 13. So um, you don't appreciate it then what they're sort of doing and the time and effort they're putting into not only my development and my career, but everybody's across the academy. And I think that's that's a little bit lost now because the staffing structure is so huge at, at academies. Um, not all of them, obviously, but um, you get you miss that sort of personal touch, I think, where the academy manager knows every single player from the youth team all the way down to the under nines and under tens. I think that's not everybody's like that. I know certainly some of the academy managers that I've worked with do do know that, but obviously these these huge academies now are becoming becoming massive sort yeah. of industries where it's impossible to to know everybody because there's so many people involved. Um, but yeah, they they created a really tight knit sort of family type of type of setup. Um, whether that was by design or whether that was just because that's that's all that we could do at that stage. Like I'm not sure. There was any capacity to to have any extra help for them. I know my coaching journey started around the time of E Triple P kicking in, where there was more funding for more staff, um, and I was fortunate to to be a part of that. But yeah, certainly at that time it was sort of Dave and Julesy plus the part time staff in the evening mm. that had to do everything, um, which is probably why we had so many jobs to do and <laughs> <laughs> uh, to to keep the place running. But um, yeah, it was good times. Yeah, and it was interesting. Was it was it Jamie Lowry who was talking about kind of sweeping up and uh, in the dressing room, and there was leaks and all sorts happening. So you'd you'd clean stuff up, and then it <laughs> you'd kind of be a bit pointless. I mean, yeah, it was I mean, lovely ground when it's Saltergate, but it was it took yeah, a bit of, really, it took a bit of cleaning. I'm guessing really fond memories there, but yeah, the building itself was yeah, falling falling to bits in certain areas. I still remember the creak of the door, so the the front door that you walked in. It had a very unique creaking sound. So sometimes that was a bit of a warning that somebody's just walked in the door. So if there was any nonsense going on in the chain room, that was quickly stopped when we heard the creak of the door. Um, but yeah, there was there was all sorts to be done to, to just keep the place standing. I mean, the first team staff, obviously, they didn't have what you'd, what you'd have now. So what my job for, for at least the second two years was kit. So I had to to pack all the kit if the first team was playing away. So we'd do everybody's wraps, everybody's shirts, socks and sloggies and warm-up tops and whatever else and, and pack all the kit ready for them to take that. So that was always a bit of a ball ache on a Friday because <laughs> everybody else's jobs would be done. The simple ones, like just sweeping the change rooms and mopping the floors and whatever. And then I'd still be there sort of trying to count all the kit and check that we'd got everything, check that we've got the right goldie shirts and so on. Um, we even had to print the names of, of the players on the shirt. So I remember getting in trouble because I put too many L's in Wayne Allison's name and, <laughs> and Tom or Dave Thompson, the, the coach who was sort of semi-kit man as well and ended up going mad at me. But um, 
you, you just make the most of that. You have a bit of fun with it best you can. Um, I remember when when Jamie Larry got in the squad for the first time. Obviously, I was packing the kit. I'd printed his shirt, so made sure that the the sloggies that he'd got in in his little roll had cut a little hole um, <laughs> the back of his sloggies for telling him that's that's when he shits himself if he ever gets on <laughs> the pitch. So um, you you're able to have a little bit of a laugh and a joke with your jobs as you as you went along, but. Yeah, there was plenty to do. After surviving a relegation scare on the very last day of the previous season, thanks to a 1-0 win over Luton Town, Chesterfield were hoping for an easier passage this time round, and they got off to a good start. Wayne Allison pounced to give them the first half lead after the move had been started by David. Mark Allett created Chesterfield's third goal when he exposed the Brentford defence yet again before feeding substitute Chaman Toyer, who cut inside and fired home from the edge of the area. What, what was your interaction with the first team squad like then? Did you ever get any bits of training sessions with them and stuff like that and start to get involved? Uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was difficult from a training point of view. Obviously, at the stadium, they'd get changed up in the, the first team change room and, and we'd get changed down in the bottom one. So, so you managed to interact with them fairly regularly. Um, I always remember Chief Wayne Allison used to just pop his head in, in our changing room and you knew that when he popped his head in, he was after somebody making a cup of tea. So <laughs> once we'd been there for a while and, and sort of got the gist of that, we'd make sure we wouldn't make eye contact and be looking in his bags or tying his shoelaces or whatever. And the first one to sort of make eye contact with him was often the the one that he got he summoned to go make a, a cup of tea for for him and him and some of the other lads. Um, but yeah, training wise, it was difficult. Like we were up at we were all up at Warminster for the time that I was there, so we'd head up going up earlier on the bus and again some of the jobs that were required up there for whatever reason the goals that they had up there didn't have any wheels so it was always a case of us scholars sort of handling the goals ourselves and um, it always seemed to be that the first team were going to train on the pitch furthest away from where the goals were kept so Obviously. we'd often we'd often have to carry them over there for them to train and we train at the other side and, and when they'd finished we'd, we'd sort of tidy up after them so it was handy in the fact that if they ever needed anybody, sort of the youth team were training right next to them at the same time, so they could just sort of call over. Um, that happened on on one or two occasions for a variety of us. Um, and you know what it's like. Sometimes you you get that call over and you do really well, and then you get the call over again. Um, but very much dependent on what they needed at, at that particular time, um, numbers and, and squad wise. Um, but yeah, again, something that. Is is pretty old fashioned now and doesn't happen at academies, but something that probably should because it it probably provided more opportunities than than what it does now mm -hmm. because new teams train on separate venues or separate sites or different times, so there's not that sort of um, players on tap for the first team should they just end up losing a man to a dead leg or or somebody feeling unwell or whatever that might be. Yeah, yeah. But it helped. It helped some of our younger lads, that's for sure. And um, and obviously, one question I ask everyone from around that time is Linda's sandwich shop. What was your yeah. uh, What was your yeah. sandwich of choice? Uh, it varied in the in the winter times. I did like a steak Canadian because that that was Ooh, that's never come up before. Sandwich. Not quite a bacon sandwich, so you couldn't get in trouble for having a having a bacon sandwich. But I did like a steak Canadian or a hot turkey and cranberry. That was nice. <laughs> She'd put it on the grill for us. 
but yeah, in the, in the summertime, I was a bit of a bit of a chicken tikka kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that that shop was handily placed, and no doubt was was kept in business by the scholars and the first team alike. So there was a few chats sometimes when somebody's tabs had run run up a little bit too high, and she had to have a word with Dave, and they wouldn't get their expenses, and still they'd settle their debts, kind of thing, down at Linda's shop. So yeah, that was always. Uh, Again, just just part of your your day and part of your your enjoyment of all walking down to the sandwich shop at the same time and, and having a chat with Linda and Phil and, and people that worked in there. You, again, it's just a a smaller sort of community thing, which which is probably lost a little bit now. Yeah, and you get those places. I like it when you get those places that are because uh, that's why I named the fanzine Linda's Sandwich Shop that I do because it's uh, uh it's like that uh, place where fans and players both kind of interact with independently from the club yeah, it's yeah. kind of nice when you get those places at the end of a road that is just a sandwich shop but yeah. ends up being symbolic for something absolutely kind of... it's, it's strange and i actually went up um i've been up today because i went to, to matt thorpe's mum's house to, to go and see him for for lunch and they live at the on the road just around the corner you know the one-way system hmm. so it's strange now that you drive up and around there and you don't see a, an old rundown stadium anymore you see yeah. some brand new brand new houses which is a, a bit of a shame but the surrounding area still brings back a few memories from the time there so but it does so um you were part of the squad in so it was 2005-6 season wasn't it yeah so did you um so was it at the end of the four five season that you get kind of offered yeah, it was, a, it was a strange one because I think my year group was the last year group that got three years scholarship rather than a two-year scholarship. Um, and for me, to be honest, it was a really good job that you did because I had a bit of a rough ride through my first couple of years. So on the day that I went to sign my scholarship, I, I went there on crutches with a broken leg because I'd, I'd played in a in a game at school, which was students against teachers and, and gone in for a tackle with my PE teacher and he'd broken my leg. So um, that was a difficult call to make to Dave to let him know that I'd, I'd broke my leg in a, in a game at school, um, particularly by a teacher and went up to sign my scholarship that night. So I sort of started my scholarship later because I was injured. Um, so my first year was a little bit disrupted because of that. Um my second year, I had a half-decent run and played in a few reserve games, but then again, down at Notts County, I'd gone to sort of clear a ball down the line and sort of turn my knee a little bit and it, it was a bit painful. And I could still run and I could still do whatever, but as soon as I tried to sort of control the ball with my knee open, uh, it was pretty painful. So um, I went for went for an appointment with a, a knee guy and, and he decided that I'd sort of torn my cartilage, so I had an operation and then tried to come back a little bit too early, if I'm honest, and, and ended up doing the same again towards the back end of my second year. So it was only my third year scholar that I actually had a decent run at it, got myself properly fit. Like you think you're fit in your first year, but you, you're certainly not, especially when you're having to chase people like Jamie Lowry around that can just run forever with without even getting a sweat on. Um, I certainly wasn't built like that. So I was often at the back with the goalkeepers, but... Um, in my third year, I did get myself in a in a good position fitness wise, and and had a really good year for the youth team. Um, and at that stage, the sort of I was often getting the the little call ups to go across and, and train with the, the first team if they needed somebody in my position. And then there was a few injuries, so that's how I ended up sort of getting the call to go down to 
to Swindon for the game. I didn't actually think that I'd be in the squad because, you know, it's like you're counting up who you think is going to be in and yeah. where, you'd fit, where you'd fit. But by my calculations, I sort of ended up being 17th man because Jamie Larry had been in a few squads by then. So I already knew he would be in. Um, but when I told my mum and dad, like my dad said, oh, well, come down anyway, even if you're not in the squad, doesn't matter. Like, I don't want to miss it just in case. But for whatever reason, they ended up leaving Caleb Fallen out the out of the 16 and I then took the place on the bench it must have just been a, a positional thing more than anything else um, so just remember being in the change room and finding that out and being a little bit surprised and thinking well I'm glad my mum and dad have come down at least they'll get to see me warming up um, and then Alan O'Hare went up for a header in the at the end of the first half and, and took a whack off the goalkeeper I think it was and, and bust his head open so I got told to warm up and I'm thinking well <laughs> I might actually get on here Um <laughs> And then, then he obviously weren't coming back on, so they called me back down and, and asked me if I was sort of ready to go on. So um, you get a little bit nervous on the side and, and you think, well, this is going to happen, but it's a, it's a really strange thing, football, because as soon as you actually start and the referee blows his whistle to, to restart play, like you just you just fall into the same mode as what yeah, you yeah. in any other game. Like It just felt like any other game to me. And um, I didn't have a great deal to do. I think I won a couple of headers from corners and... I've got a picture, picture from, from one of the photographers in up on the wall, which is sort of me going up for a challenge with their goalkeeper and, and trying my best because I think we were 2-1 down at the time and we sort of just pumping a few balls into the box. Um, but yeah, it was it was a bit of a bit of a whirlwind. <laughs> I actually asked my mum and dad at, at the end of the game if they could tell what was wrong with my shirt and, and they didn't quite understand what I meant, but Luckily, you couldn't see it from a distance, but like I said to you before, my job was to print kit. So when I found out that I was in the squad, I actually had to print my own shirt. Um, <laughs> but the letters that were needed, uh, we didn't have enough of, so we didn't have an F. So I had to to sort of cut and stick a bit of an E and then add a little bit to it um, and, and put the printer on it and, and stick it down. And from close up, it looked a real mess, like the just flimsy and, and sort of blowing off a little bit. But... Um, fortunately, you could still make out my name, and it didn't didn't quite look that bad from from further away. So, I've still actually got that shirt. It's a, it's, a, it's actually a bit of a funny story that comes. So that makes it more valuable, doesn't it? If it's customised, yeah, yeah, I suppose. So, it, like <laughs> I say it's just the way things were there at that stage. Like it's not. I'm sure that's not going to be the case now with with any players making their debut. But that's how it was back then. So, and it's yeah, that really odd, pleasing... odd, like sky blue. Kit as well, yeah. Um, I always sort of look at the picture and think, What were you doing? Because I ended up wearing sort of the, the white F50 boots that we sort of got for free, and certainly wasn't my sort of my sort of choice of boot. But I think they must have been the only ones I had left at that point. It was obviously a little bit late in the season, the often sort of wear out pretty quickly, so that must have just been whatever boots I would have had left. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a good day, a proud day, just to to say that I'd made it onto the pitch. I didn't have any any expectations that it was going to be any more than that. I kind of knew my place at that point. That was there because there was quite a few injuries, um, but I was hopeful that I'd sort of showed that I could at least cope. Um, and just just really proud mm-hmm. to have actually stepped foot on on a professional football pitch and and, and being a part of that down down there. So. Obviously, mum and dad had made it down as well, which made it even more pleasing. Um, 
and I'm just just really excited on the journey home, telling everybody how it'd gone and and, and that I'd got on and and everything else. So mm. yeah, good good day. And and that season itself, obviously, it was in the Roy McFarland kind of era, and um and we were really kind of overperforming. Although I've, I've obviously spoken to a lot of players around then, they were like, well considering the talent that we had we weren't that overperforming but obviously as Chesterfield at the time for a lot of the season we were kind of uh, flirting with the playoffs I suppose for a good yeah, chunk of the season yeah. um, and it was a time when the, the club was really holding its own for a period of time wasn't it and yeah, there was yeah. loads of good loan players and stuff like that, that yeah, I mean, as well. at that time. point when I made my debut I think Jamie O'Hara was was in the team Um and obviously, he went on to, to play at a really high level and, and do re- very well in the game. Um, and yeah, we had some, obviously, Caleb weren't in the squad at that point, but he came good in the end and ended up getting a decent move. And mm. um, I did, I do think we had a lot of good players at that point, which is probably why it was so difficult for us as young lads, because it was frustrating for us, because as a youth team, we were excellent. Like, we we, we romped home our league and, and we were comfortable against every team that we sort of played against. So we were all sort of edging for, a, for an opportunity at the next level and difficult because there was the odd reserve game but it certainly wasn't a regular thing like what you'd find at clubs nowadays so there wasn't that sort of level in between where we could sort of be semi-tested to see if we could could handle it you genuinely had to wait for injuries suspensions loan recalls whatever whatever that might have been to disrupt that first team squad to, to go and get your opportunity so um yeah it was it was difficult and you just had to make the most of it when when you did get that chance so um, I know. I think I was on the bench for the for the following game against yeah. Forest. Forest, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Which which was supposed to be a really good one because like I didn't know much about anything, but sort of I'd made my debut, and then the next day I was on the bench. Uh, the next week I was on the bench against Forest, and in the change room, everybody's sort of talking about a, a crowd bonus or something like that. And apparently, if there was over a certain amount, you'd you get an extra bonus in your sort of wage. And I'm thinking, well, I've made a debut, so I might get an appearance bonus and I might get this crowd bonus. So I'm thinking, I might, might, have a, might have a nice wage coming my way at the end of the month. But for whatever reason, I didn't end up with any. Um, <laughs> apparently, I'd not signed a bonus sheet or whatever at the start of the season. So um, I remember Chief trying to sort that out for me, trying to, to persuade the club that that's a bit unfair and I should probably get what everybody else got. Um, but yeah, it didn't, ended up, didn't end up being the case. But... Is what it is. You just just get on. Hey, when Barry Hubbard's chairman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, we had we had done well that season, and uh, I think that that were that were probably a, a bit of a barrier for us younger lads and, and made it a little bit more difficult. Hmm. So looking back at it now, and obviously now that you're doing the job that you're doing, um, is it kind of as much as what the, a, a balance between as much as talent as it is? <laughs> look at the end of the day just in terms of yeah. like when you get the chance if you get the chance you know? yeah it is I mean the conversation that, that I had with with Roy McFarland at the end of the season to tell me that I wasn't getting a, a contract was because they had ample centre-halves at that time they still had Blavers they had Downser, they had Janos um, they had Evo so they've got quite a few um, centre-halves so like you understand that but then as luck would have it after the that summer was over. Steve Blavowick retires. Downsy gets a serious knee injury, and that then they're actually in need to centre offs. And mm. that was just the the way the cookie crumbled for me. Maybe if they would have given me a given me a year or whatever, I would have then had a had more of an opportunity. And, and you never know from that point. But yeah, to answer your question, I think 
there's there's a balance to be struck. Like um, I think we'd we'd gone too far one way at a certain stage where clubs were were hoarding players and and having too many players and too many squads that were in between sort of youth setups and and first team where players were obviously there to to make numbers up at times and not necessarily there for the right reasons. Um, but ultimately, I think even in that sort of process, if you're good enough, you force your way all the way through. Um, but then at the same time, the, the scenario, what we've just been talking about there, where you're literally youth team, then first team, that can be really good for, for, for odd opportunities that pop up. But at the same time, it is a massive jump. And that's the, that's the struggle that we're having at, at the club that I'm at at the minute is we have some really good youth team players. And we were hoping to, to put in place a sort of B team sort of structure this year. To, to allow players an extra little bit of time to develop, whether that be physically or tactically or even like emotionally to be able to cope with, mm. with the demands. Um, but we haven't got that. So if, they, if they're not ready then, they have to leave and they have to find somewhere else. And um, you often find that there's good players across the clubs, across different sizes, different categories that, that, that would need that little extra time. Um, and you've seen that with with the lad at Blackburn that, that they signed from Preston because Preston didn't have a, a B team or under 21s for for the lad Dolan to go into. Blackburn did, and and they've ended up getting the getting the rewards for it. So I think there's a fine balance. There's some things in football that are, are never going to change, and, and there's always going to be young players that come through and get in the team. That's going to be the nature of it, regardless of of how good, bad, or indifferent academy structures are. Um, and the best players, I think, do always get through. Um, but then there's other players that maybe are good enough that that don't quite get the rub of the green that they need to to end up forging a career. In it. So somewhere in the middle is probably where we need to aim. And obviously, I mean, Chester, <laughs> we're we're kind of reaping the rewards bit at the moment. Lawrence Maguire's come back into the team and yeah. is uh, is doing really well and. Everyone, uh, everyone really likes it when he comes into the team and does really yeah. well because he's it, been there for years. And yeah, you know, strange actually. When I, when I first went back to, to Chesterfield to coach full time and, and had the under 16s age group, it was Loz's group. So Loz was sort of my first group that I had when I was in full time. It was him, Jake Beasley, who's done, done really well and, yeah. and, and, and had a good career and is up at Blackpool now. So again, we had some good players and I think just opportunities come around at certain times. So Loz. Loz managed to get his opportunity and he's and he's made the most of it and been there for a long time. I know Jake Beasley sort of was on the edges of it under Paul Cook and ended up playing right back in a few of the few of the weird and wonderful positions and had to go away from the club to to make a name for himself and, and has now done really well. So yeah, I think location-wise, Chesterfield's in a great spot to pick up some some good players from some some huge clubs around the outsides of them. Um but at the same time, like there's a lot of clubs in a similar position to them. So it's a, a really competitive industry. I've seen that firsthand myself. Um, but I'm sure if they if they continue to push that agenda and try their best to sort of find a path for, for young players, they'll they'll continue to do it because there is a lot of football and talent around this this part of the world. So mm. fingers crossed they can find another one. Yeah. And and after Chesterfield then, so you went to Accrington uh, <coughs> yeah. for a bit? Uh, yeah, so yeah, at the end of at the end of my scholarship, like I said, I had that conversation with Ryan McFarland. I think Dave Bentley in particular was 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 pretty gutted with the decision. I think he felt that I should have ended up being offered something. Um I know Lee Richardson was quite 
in my favour as well. And, and he sort of pulled me for a, for a quick chat and said if it was up to him, he sort of would have kept me around for another year just to see what happened. And like I said, Sod's Law, six mm. months later, he uh, fallen leaves the club and, and Rico ended up taking over. So like I said, sometimes the timing of things just isn't quite right. But yeah, at that point, I'd sort of realised that I wasn't getting anything. I didn't really know what to do next. Um, Dave tried to, to set me up with a few trials after the summer had finished. Um, Ash Berry, who was one of the part-time coaches that worked with us at Chesterfield as well, really good friend of mine, and and he made some phone calls for me and ended up speaking to John Coleman at, at Accrington, who agreed for me to go along on trial in the summer. So <clears throat> luckily, I'd, I'd got people that was in my in my corner trying to trying to help me and and, and help me sort of find something at another football club. So <clears throat> ended up getting fixed up with a with a trial over at Accrington in the summer, which was which was interesting. Um, I sort of did the drive over to where they trained before it all started, just so I sort of knew where I was going. And I think that's when it hit me how, how far away it was because <laughs> they didn't actually train in Accrington. They trained in a little village called Barn Oldswick, which was even further away. Um, so when I went there to start with on trial, I was sort of, they, they put me up in a few hotel rooms sort of on the odd night. It was a bit of a strange one because when I got there, it was like you couldn't really tell what was going on because the team had just been promoted back into the league. So they had, had obviously all their old squad members as part of the group. But it was a bit of a like an X factor sort of scenario where <laughs> when I first rocked up on the first day, there must have been 25 lads all in the same boat as me. Like some of them had been released by clubs. Some that you're thinking, what is he doing here? Has he won a raffle or something? Because he was nowhere near good enough to be to be in this sort of setting. And as the sort of days and weeks went by, that number sort of got smaller and smaller to the point where there was only three or four of us left in um, for the final few pre-season games. Um, we had some good fixtures. We played Blackburn and a few other teams and they had some really good players. They had two guys, probably the best player I've ever yeah, been yeah. on pitch with. He, he, he was excellent, unbelievably technical. And I was up a big Shefty, up against big Shefty Coochie at that time, who was just like a big fridge freezer and had a good ding dong with him. And I think that was what helped helped me get get something there. Um, I only signed for six months. Oh, no, sorry, I signed for a year. Um, but it was after six months that I asked to sort of go out on loan because, like I said to you before, there wasn't really anything for me in between. So I wasn't making it into the first team squad which meant that there was nothing for me to do. So I wasn't playing any football and it's a really hard transition because I've gone from being one of the best players in the youth team and um, playing every week and, and winning and being on top of the world to, to going into a first team environment where I'm not in a squad. I then follow the same pattern that everybody who is in the squad is. So I'll run after a game and then the next day I won't train because they don't train. So there was nothing to sort of help me continue to get better or, or develop from a physical standpoint, which I don't think helped me. Um, and my confidence wasn't, wasn't great at that point because I wasn't in the team and I wasn't playing. And then you start wondering why and, and doubting yourself and it's, it's tough, but the journey certainly didn't help because once I'd actually signed, they, they, they told me that there was no sort of digs for me, no accommodation. So I'd have to travel in. Um, fortunately, Lee Richardson, Liam Richardson, sorry, was was from Leeds, so I'd meet Liam halfway, um, and then we'd sort of travel in together. And 
he's obviously done really well in a in a different management career, which surprised me because he, he never sort of alluded to that being his cup of tea at all. Um, but yeah, it was difficult. So the the journey coupled with where I was at confidence wise and and any kind of opportunities that I had meant that I don't think it would ever have have worked out for me there. So after six months or so, I just asked the asked the management staff if I could just go and get some games, go and go and play on loan somewhere. Um, and that's when I went when I first went down to Belper, um, just because some of the lads that had been in the youth team were down there and obviously a lot closer for me. So mm. I sort of married the two up between having a few days up in Accrington training and then going to Belper for my games. Um, but I think as time passed, they they weren't really missing me up, up there. I don't think they even noticed that I weren't there anymore. So that just came to a sort of a natural end just after Christmas and I, and I just, just left permanently and, and joined joined Belper to carry on playing non-league. And you, and you played for quite a lot of like the localish clubs around yeah. Chesterfield, haven't you? So I was having yeah, a lot of like Belper, Buxton, uh, yeah. Matlock. Yeah. Well, obviously Belper was, Belper was the first port of call just because I, I knew some people there and I knew I could go in and, and play straight away. <clears throat> um and then, and then Nicky Law rang me, who was manager at Buxton at the time. And I remember Nicky from obviously heading up the youth team um, while I was a schoolboy, and then obviously through through Josh as well. And he'd always terrified me. So I was going to say, if, if he rang me up, I don't know if I... <laughs> yeah, when when he rang me and, and told me what what are you doing at Belper? Why don't you come to come to Buxton and join join us? I was like, yeah, yeah, of course I will. I think I even took less money because he told me to. <laughs> so he was one of them type of characters. He sort of said, like, yeah, you know, we could pay you two hundred and fifty, but then you've got nothing to work for. So why don't you just come for two hundred? So I'm like, yeah, yeah, fine, that's all right. So probably did myself out of fifty quid just because I was terrified of it. Um, but we had a really good team there and it was strange because I'd gone from obviously training all the time um, with Accrington and and playing some games for Belper to a point where I was playing for Buxton but we didn't train like I had one training session that whole season um, which was weird so I'd sort of been in touch with Dave Bentley back at Chesterfield just to see if I could go in there and, and sort of keep ticking over training so I did that and while I did that, I sort of trained a couple of times with the first team while Rico was manager, but that never panned out into anything. <clears throat> Ended up with a with a trial at Grimsby as well while I was doing that, which which again didn't come to anything. So I sort of settled on that point that I'd have to play play non-league football if I was to, to sort of work my way back into the game and, and try and do my best that way. And like I said, Buxton were really good, really successful. We won the league, we won the cup. Um like I said, without training, I think Nicky just filled the lads with dread that if he lost his temper with you, you were in trouble. But they had a they had a squad where if you didn't play well for a couple of games, you'd be out of the squad. And because we didn't train, hard to get in. So I think that mentality meant that everybody was always on the ball and always on top of things. Um, and we did really well that year. But then Nicky left and, and went to Alfred and um, new manager comes in and, and brings his own players in at that stage. And that's when I headed off to Matlock. And Matlock was probably the best group of lads I'd, I'd been with at, at non-league football because a lot of them had Chesterfield connections. So there was sort of Andy Richmond, Gaz Davis, Matt Fort, Jamie Jackson. Like we had loads of lads that were part of the groups that I'd been in in the past. So from a change room point of view, that was excellent. That was probably the most enjoyable time I'd had in non-league. 
Um, but typically when you're playing at that sort of level and you start to pick up injuries and you're not training as regularly as you are, it's so hard to to keep on top of things. And like I said, to be fair, I wasn't naturally the, the fittest of, of humans. So for me in particular, that sort of just led to, to things going in one direction. I had another knee operation. So that, that made three knee operations by the time I was sort of 24 and left Matlock and, and joined Worksop, which I thought were a good move. But on the, the first day of training with Worksop, I chip a bone in my ankle and then I have to have another operation. So it, it sort of headed south after that. So I slowly worked my way through the leagues in the local area to, to the point of um, thinking about a different sort of avenue. I started working at a school as a learning mentor at my old school that I used to go to as a student and really enjoyed that, working with young people, trying to help them navigate their way through through life, through school, through everything, which was a really interesting job and a job that I loved. And I would never have changed that other than to go back into to football full-time. Obviously, I'd been back to Chesterfield to coach. As soon as I left Accrington, I was back at Chesterfield coaching part-time. So I'd already sort of got my foot half in the door. And like I said, when EPPP kicked in, um, Dave asked me if I'd be interested in joining up full-time, which look, we all know that football is a lot about who you know, not not what you know. And Definitely. I can never grumble if I ever lose out on a job because of that, because that's the way that I found my, my way into full-time coaching because I'd obviously played for Dave and Dave knew me pretty well and as a person and, and what I wanted to, to achieve. So he gave me that opportunity no doubt ahead of multiple <laughs> coaches that were more qualified and more experienced than I was because I must have only been 23, 24 at the time um, to go back into full-time coaching. So massively appreciative to, to Dave and Julesy for giving me that opportunity. And like I said, I can't grumble now when when other jobs are given to, to people that people know because I know that it's worked out for me at some stage. So um had, had, um, it, it sounds like it was maybe almost like a bit of a relief when an opportunity comes like that along. It sounds like, um, does football sometimes become a bit of a grind when you're um, you know, getting picking up those injuries? And yeah, a little bit, like a little bit. There was, a, I suppose, there's a tinge of guilt there as well because like you'd, you'd worked so hard to 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 achieve something, and it was sort of to let go of that or to say, well, I'm not going to achieve that anymore. I think you didn't want to let people down. Like I say, my, my parents have travelled all over the country with me watching me, even, even into non-league, they'd still come to every game. And it was like, I can see that this is not going to provide me with a career. So I have to get another job and start thinking about life away from football. But at the same time, if I if I just stop, like that's unfair on everybody that's supported me. So that took a while for, for that to sit right with me. Um, obviously once I'd got into coaching full-time and, and I'd got my teeth into that then I certainly knew that that's what I wanted to do and that's what I wanted to to put all my time into and I think I was playing for Stavely still at the same time so it was again a balancing act of trying to miss training to go coaching or miss coaching to go training and yeah, yeah. obviously I'd got a, got a young family at that point so I'd sort of be working in the daytime coaching in the morning come home say hello to the missus and, and, and little and, and then I'd be off to my game in the afternoon and I just remember playing away at Armful. I think Neil Cluxton was actually the manager of Stavely um, and I'd done that, I'd coached in the morning, flown home, had a bite to eat, said hello, shot off to the game at Armful. was late to get there so missed out in the car parking space, I had to park at a pub down the road and then 
walk to the change rooms, which were freezing cold and the windows sort of frozen open. So you couldn't, couldn't even get warm. Then found out that I was on the bench and then sort of was a bit grumpy about that. And, and then we got an injury early into the game and, and Neil said, sort of, can you go and get warmed up? I shall like, you know what? <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get off. <laughs> like, I can't do this anymore. So sort of, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to kill myself, pleasing everybody, but not really pleasing anyone by doing doing it all. So that was my sort of last action. I didn't really didn't really go back into, into part-time football after that. I just wanted to focus solely on coaching. And I'm sure many of the lads had said, like, the biggest thing you miss about football when you're not in it is is the dressing room and the people around it. I was getting that by by coaching every day and, and being with Dave and Julesy in the youth team and then obviously having my own groups as well. So that wasn't something that I missed. The money at that stage certainly wasn't anything that I missed because it didn't even cover my petrol to get there. Um, so it was about trying to claw a bit of time back with with the family and and spend it more wisely. Um, and at that stage, I felt like I'd got another career that I could be proud of. So I wasn't too guilty in terms of giving up my hope of, of becoming professional again. So, um, And I suppose all of that time spent uh, being a professional and then uh, playing for a lot of different clubs and stuff like that, it, it means you get that opportunity and you end up in that new career route, doesn't it? So yeah, you end up yeah. there because of everything that came before. Don't you? So it's... Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, obviously, that normally happens at 35, 36 when people have finished playing rather than at, at 24. So it was quite early for me. And, and I obviously did try to, to get my badges done straight away and did my A license as soon as I sort of started at Chesterfield, which was pretty daunting because for whatever reason, I ended up off well, my first part. I just did with, with any other normal person that was doing their A license. But my second part of my A license was pretty daunting because for some reason I ended up on the senior pros course. So I think it was because I didn't register and then I declared the interest in doing the course, but there was all full. And then they obviously had someone drop out. So they let me do the senior pro course. I wasn't sure that my 56 minutes or whatever against Swindon accumulated in me being a senior pro compared to some of the people that were on that course. Um, but I thought, well, why not? Like it's going to be a real, real good experience. There was some familiar faces there. So I'd, I'd, been through the first part with a couple of people that were on it and then there was like Kev Davis was on it who I knew pretty well because he was Jamie's brother and, and, and we spoke quite a few times so that was a familiar face for me um, there was Robbie Fowler, Hugo Ekiog, Sean Derry like so many big names that were on this on this course it was a little bit strange but the strangest thing I think was that I just started at Sheffield United at that point and Nigel Clough was the manager, but he was on the course. <laughs> um, he'd obviously been a manager for 30 odd years, but the FA decided that he actually needed a badge to say that he could be manager. So he was reluctantly on this A license course, but put me in a bit of an awkward position because I had the Sheffield United kit on, but he certainly didn't know who I was. I obviously knew who he was, but I didn't know whether I should introduce myself, tell him what I did. Do you call him Gaffer? Do you call him Big Nige? Like, <laughs> I didn't know. So I just I just went through the course trying to avoid actually saying his name. I think really that was that was how I navigated my way through it. But I remember the the start of the course was uh, led by Dick Bate, blessing who's who's not here anymore, but an excellent coach educator. Um, and he was talking about sort of free kicks and he was demonstrating some free kicks and he wanted somebody that was 
that was left-footed and he's looking around the group for a demo. He's like, come on, Robbie, Robbie Fowler, come on, you, we know you're good at free kicks, come and step forward. So he's taking a few free kicks and Dick Bates talking about the structure of the wall and, and so on. And he's like, right, I need somebody with a right foot. Is there any, any volunteers? And like, nobody's put their hand up, but I'm stood at the front. So he's just pointed at me. And then, so I've had to step forward. And I'm just, I had to check myself and think, I'm, I'm taking free kicks with Robbie Fowler here. Like I used to, <laughs> used to watch him on TV and, and cheer him on for England and Liverpool and stuff. And that was like, well, so I, I didn't necessarily have that through playing football, but now from coaching football, I, I am going to start to, to come across heroes and, and rub shoulders with some of the best. Yeah. So it was a really good course to be on. And, um, yeah, you, yeah, you learned a lot from it. Murphy and McAllister and Fowler, it's all over. Liverpool are going to the FA Cup final. Robbie Fowler has brought down the steward, <laughs> but he's also brought down Wickham. And so that you've kind of alluded to you you obviously had that spell at Chesterfield didn't you which was like what was that like 2012 20, 2014 yeah, kind of I'm not sure I, I normally go by players so like <laughs> Ted I, Derek was in the yeah. youth team at that stage um, like I said I had Loz and, and Jake Beasley in the under 16 so that was the sort of cohort of players that, that came through um, things changed a little bit around that time so when Paul Cook came in as manager Dave and Jules they both left which was yeah. um, a shame because he'd been there for so long and, and done so well with it. Um, obviously, times were changing. E Triple P was coming in, audits and things like that. So whether that had anything to do with it, I don't know. But um, they were replaced with with Mark Smith and Jerry Carr, um, at, at sort of head of the youth team and and the schoolboy sort of academy stuff. Um, me and Dave O'Hare, who's, who's still there, actually. I mean, Bucky were, mm. were still left behind, sort of, to try and keep things running. We were sort of still in the office. I'm like, Bucky, we're going to have to ask what's going on. So Dave and Julesy has obviously just left and and came in and said bye to us. But we had, like, training that night. So we're like, well, what are we going to do? So I sort of popped my head into Paul Cook's office and said, like, you know, like, Dave and Julesy have gone. What do you want us to do? Do we do we carry on? We've got training tonight. Like you're brave coming in here. Everybody that's coming here so far has left. But <laughs> luckily, me and me and Bucky managed to avoid that, and, and we tried to keep things running until the until the new staff came in. Um, but yeah, at that point, it it not quite been the same as when Dave and Julesy were there, and um, I was sort of looking to to progress myself from a coaching point of view. So ended up with an opportunity at Sheffield United to go over there and, and, and went over there initially as sort of skills coach. So I was tasked with developing a skills coach, sort of skills programme, sorry, a ball mastery programme. And then I was sort of assistant in the daytime to, to Travis Binion with the under 18s and then in the evening to the foundation phase with Matt Mauler. So it gave me a nice sort of range of seeing every age group across the academy, which was a really good start. And you're obviously now at Lincoln. Um, yeah. So you're what, head, uh, lead performance development coach, aren't you, at Lincoln? Is that right? Yeah, so, yeah, the under-18s coach. Just a fancy way of putting it, I suppose. So <laughs> what, what's, the, yeah, um, what's the, like, important things to you about working with that kind of age group? Because obviously you are as much as a, yeah. a, a mentor as you are a, a coach, like, mentally and 
yeah, yeah. kind of de- developmentally football wise it's a... that's probably the key is that like everybody is different like it's a team sport of course it is and and everybody is is going to be part of a team regardless of of their different attributes and so on but ultimately it's sort of an individual sport within a team sport so we're never going to get teams of of players through into the first team it's only ever going to be individuals so it's finding a way of working with every individual in a in a way that gets the most out of them and sometimes you have to accept that that success might not be success by getting through into the first team but that success might be them playing the highest level of non-league football they can or ensuring that they get a, a good quality education out in America at university or, or whatever that might look like because you know sort of um, where you're at in the in the pecking order kind of thing um, so that's the the big thing that I try and take is is to to make sure that I'm helping each individual as best I possibly can. Although we have to obviously accept that we're in a team sport and there's going to be group training sessions and so on. Um, but it's important that we try and do right by everybody, um, which has proven to be the case this year because we felt like we had a, a good group of players that needed the next step. And we've now not got that in terms of having a B team that we can put these lads into. So now it goes from being these guys' coaches and trying to get them to a good position to to impact our football club to now their agent of trying to get them off to to other football clubs that have that provision and, and can provide that for them to give them the, the best case scenario. So we have a couple of lads now that have come to the end of the path where we've us, but managed to fix them up with trials at Blackburn or at Sheffield Wednesday or at Hull. So they might end up being better off by leaving our club than they would have done by... I stayed, but like I said, that that's dependent on each club structure. But there's certainly things that I do with with the under 18s at Lincoln City that Dave and Jules will have done with us as a youth team. Because like I said, some things never change. Like the ball's always going to be round, the grass is always going to be rectangled. You know what I mean? So um, there's there's certain things in football that never change, and there's sayings that Dave used to say. In, in training and in games that, that I've found myself saying and sessions that he's put on that I found myself putting on. So so it's strange how how long how long that can last. I mean when you think about it, it's an amazing game really, isn't it? It's a I, I saw something on social media recently which was like uh some young kids doing a penalty shootout in some part of the world and it was just this muddy bog with a, a really weird shaped goal and they were doing a penalty shootout and they're all doing like the Ronaldo celebrations afterwards and yeah. stuff like that. And it, um, it's amazing really, isn't it? That a sport yeah. that is so simple, really, it's, that is so global and uh, it's amazing really. It's a, it's an incredible game that, that brings so many different people together. I mean, I've been incredibly fortunate that not necessarily as a player, but certainly as a coach, I've, I've managed to travel the world coaching. So I've, I've been to China, I've been to America, I've been to Australia, Dubai, Everywhere, um, me and Matt Thorpe, we've got a charity where we where we involved in in football in Uganda, where we go and provide kit and equipment and resources to to setups out in Uganda. So you're right, like you could be absolutely anywhere in the world, but football is football, and 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 we found that ourselves when we've been out into different different areas coaching. When we went out to Uganda and, and visited some of the rundown villages and the schools, and they're playing football with just a bunch of leaves tied together with a string and you just, once you're there, once the, the game starts, like 
you could be anywhere. It could be at Warminster Road, maybe a different different surface, and you're not sharing it with with a big cow in the field. Um, but everybody sticks to the same rules, don't they? And, and it just brings so many different walks of life together. And like I said, I've been so lucky to to visit so many places because of this sport and because of the 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 situations that crop up through football. Um, and it is it is pretty amazing the the people that it connects you with and, and the life that you lead because of it. Um, and I'm fortunate that I'm still involved in that full time, and, and that's what pays me my wage. It certainly doesn't feel like a job to me. I mean, there's there's bits about it that I don't enjoy. Don't get me wrong, the the travel, the journeys, and the times out of the house. But there's not a day where I wake up and think, oh, I don't fancy going to work today. And, my wife always talks about when she can retire from her job. And I'm like, I don't think I ever will retire. Like I might, might go back into recruitment and start scouting part time and have a bit more time at home, but I can't see a world where I'm not involved in this. Like it's been my life since I was 10, 10 years old or whatever. So it doesn't feel like a job to me. So I'm really lucky in that sense. Cause I know a lot of people are out there grafting morning, noon and night on the tools or, out in all weathers or dangerous jobs where they're risking their lives every day. So I'm lucky that that's, that's not the case for me. And my job is to, to talk football and to try and do what's best for young people and try and help them on their path. So I know I'm really fortunate in that sense.